All right. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey. I'd like to thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, anything you can do to help the show, like, comment, subscribe, that's kind of the usual thing. Star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice, I appreciate all of it. So any of that that you've got on your ability, um, if you've done any and all of that, or if you don't want to do that but want to do something else, I don't know, would be odd, but I've done odd things, so I'm not judging. Uh, share on your social media platform of choice to any people in your social circles that you think would enjoy it. Uh, point them in my direction. Hopefully we can continue to grow the show. All right. On the agenda this evening, last night, UFC 288. Uh, eesh. <clears throat> Sorry, I shouldn't say eesh. Like, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but... Um, those last two fights, they... Uh, uh, you know, you know, there's, there's a, I forget the psychological term for this, but this is true of, of people. If you're given a list of things or a period of time or whatnot, um, people remember the beginning and the end, much more so than anything in the middle. It's why if you're, you know, um, if you're putting together an MMA card, you want the pay-per-view to open with a hot fight, because that'll set the tone and people will remember that when they talk about it later. They'll also remember, like, the last fight. Uh, so you want both of those to be good, in theory. And you, same thing with, like, professional wrestling. You know, if you're not the main event, then being the first match on the night can be, like, the second most desirable position on the card. For kind of, again, for kind of the same reason. Like, you're setting the tone. You're one of the things people will remember. Because they remember the beginning, they remember the end. There's there's endless lists about the best best main events for like WrestleMania. There's endless lists for the best first match at WrestleMania. There's no such thing as a best list of like middle of the card matches. It doesn't exist. So you, those are what you want because that's the impression people will take away. And when your main event, when your main event and then your co-main are both kind of meh, and we'll get to the details, it just leaves a downer impression. Even if the rest of the card was awesome, and awesome might be a bit of a stretch, but it was not bad. So we will, we'll talk about all that, the ups and the downs, and otherwise. Uh, then preview UFC on ABC4. Remember about this coming week? It is an early event. Uh, the prelims start at, I believe, 11.30 a.m. Eastern. It's 9.30 my time. That'll be fun. So, we can So, earlier event. Um, just don't forget that if you want to watch it live. Uh, if you join it late, you'll be out of luck. It's not especially great on paper, but again, we'll preview it and you can uh, decide for yourself. You might feel very differently than I do, and that's fine and dandy. Uh, then news. Not a lot of news, um, but a little bit, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Alright. I think that's everything for the preview, so let's jump into it, shall we? Uh, UFC 288. Last night, main event for the UFC Bantamweight title. 
Aljamain Sterling, your reigning champion, defends. Uh, beats Henry Cejudo, the former champion returning from a three-year pseudo-retirement hiatus. Read a word. Okay, because I, I, retirement needs to carry weight. And uh, hiatus is probably a bit more accurate. Sabbatical? Uh, that's a, that's a decent enough word for that. Either of those, like, but he returns from his break, three years off now at the age of 36. Past that point, man, look, I I made this point last week. I'll talk about the fight in a second, but the record of men's title fights from flyweight to welterweight in the UFC, if you're 30, if you're older than 35, so like 35 and and over. Is two and twenty-eight. Those two wins are t- two wins are Tyron Woodley. One of them was Damian Maya. The other was Darren Till. And again, Maya was like forty. But that does also mean that if you take welterweight out, so if we just look at lightweight, featherweight, bantamweight, and flyweight, no one thirty-five, no one thirty-five and older has ever, has won a UFC title fight. In those weight classes, no one. That's a that's a pretty big stat. It doesn't mean that you you're dead after that point, but it is something to consider. I yeah. we got a few guys who might be able to challenge that. Um, Volkanovski has his title defense coming up. I believe he's 35 now. Uh, so that one might be interesting. Feels like somebody at lightweight is at some point going to make a push at that number. I don't know who or when, but it feels like somebody will at some point for lightweight. Uh, how old is... How old is old Islam Makashev? Um, he's 31, so okay. I, I, With respect to Makashev, I kind of doubt he's going to have like a four-year run as champion. That seems unlikely. Uh, Again, just seems unlikely. Um, And yeah, Volk. Yeah, Volk's 34. Okay, Volk's 34. He will still be 34 when he defends against um, Rodriguez. But he'll be 35 later this year. So, uh, something to keep your eye on. He might, again, I think he'll throw a real challenge at that stat. But it's a big stat. And it's, again, it doesn't mean that suddenly, you know, you're 35, 36, and you can't compete at the title level or that you can't win in the UFC. But the margin for error, man, it's real thin. It is real thin. I mean, that's all it took here. Like, again, this was a, look. This was a split decision. There were 48s, 47s. Doing it live, I was 49, 46 for Sterling. I don't think that's right. I think I got the second round wrong because I gave that to Sterling. And again, I'm not. I don't think that's right. There's some controversy here because one of the scorecards for Sterling, I believe this comes courtesy of Derek Cleary. 
Um, he scored the fifth round for Sterling, and that... Like, rounds four and five were the easiest to score. Four was the clearest round of the fight, actually, for Sterling. Uh, I don't know, maybe three? I'd say four was clearer than three. And then five uh, for Cejudo. Again, that felt kind of academic when I was watching it, but... Uh, so, there's there's not so much controversy around Sterling winning when you don't think he should have. I scored it for Sterling. Th again, that said, uh, three to two either way, easily defensible, easily. Um, but some of the individual rounds, that that round five for Sterling, like that's just a bad scorecard for that round. Um, Cejudo, again, he made this a. This was a competitive fight. But you see a little bit of what was lost in those three years off. Um, and he didn't lose much. But whatever he lost was enough for Sterling to beat him. And again, man, like Bantamweight in particular, this is the best division in the sport, I think. Your margin for error is... It's real thing. Like, who made a major... Neither guy made a major mistake in this fight. I mean... And I absolutely mean that. Like, there wasn't some boneheaded decision. Neither guy at some point sat back and went, You know what? I got this in the bag. Let me just throw away rounds. Let me throw away minutes. Uh, nobody made some giant tactical error. Both guys had moments of success, but Sterling was the better guy. Uh, at least from where I sat. Uh, Sterling started hot. He usually does. Um, but he's found a pace that he can maintain. So he starts hot. He tends to throttle back a little bit. And then... Sterling does the thing that some very, very, very good fighters do. He doesn't try... He, at this point in his career... He's not trying to blow you out of the water. He's just trying to beat you. And if that means he wins three rounds and you win two, whatever, he won. If that means he won those three rounds by a fraction, who cares? He won. I'm not saying he never tries to finish people. That would be, again, that would be a mistake. He doesn't have a great fit track record of finishing, but he's in a very, very competitive division, and he's been fighting some very good guys. Um, I mean, okay, he had the... Look, the stoppage over Dillashaw, I'm not taking it away from him. That was... But that was more injury-related than the punches he was landing. I mean, I'm not saying he wouldn't have been able to do damage with his ground-and-pound anyway. He got some in. But, like, again, just... What caused the that fight to be stopped? It was TJ's shoulder being made of, you know, gravel in butter. Like, just a mess. And, I give again, I give Sterling credit. He got him out of there. He forced the issue. Fair play to him. But, you know, before that, it was like... Yeah, so, again, split here. I thought he won. Injury win over over Dillashaw. Fair play. 
Split over over Yawn that I kind of thought he lost. DQ to Yawn. Yawn's fault. Submits Corey Sandhagen in less than 90 seconds. That was nice. But decisions Munoz. Decisions Rivera. Um, he got Stamen with the Sulu of Stretch. Decision before that. Marais knocked him out. Decision over Barrow. Decision over Mendez. Lost a couple of split decisions to Austin Sow and Brian Caraway. I don't remember how I scored the Caraway fight. I was okay with. I thought. I think. Believe I scored Austin Sal for him. Uh, for Austin Sal. I might have scored the Caraway fight for Sterling, but don't quote me on it. And those are his only losses. But he's just again, as his level of opposition has escalated, finishes become rarer, and they become more risky to go for them. He's kind of hit that point when. I'm going to put myself one gear better than you. He comes out hot, and then whatever you settle into, he's going to be above that, and he's going to try and maintain whatever that differential is. So if you try to up your game, he's going to up his to keep the differential. And sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes, you know, you you might lose a round or two. You might lose a couple of, like, that does that's not a foolproof game plan but it's generally speaking a winning one and that's not just him there's a lot of guys who have adopted a similar mindset and i'm not making a value judgment about it um he got some he got some nice takedowns against the fence he was doing good work at distance kind of keeping things real long um one of the things about being out of competition, I don't mean Cejudo, you know, was out of the gym, but one of the things about being out of competition is uh, your timing gets off and you're, especially distance. Like, that's one of those things that you need kind of constant looks at to maintain your understanding of your visual acuity and whatnot about distance. Because that can get thrown off by a lot of things. And Sterling had like a 7-inch reach advantage. He fought like it, too. Um, Sterling's a fairly... He's a lanky guy for that weight class, and he fights long. Get somebody who's long and knows how to fight that way, it can be a problem. The times when Cejudo had elements of success, he was able to close the distance just enough to be to be inside of the end of kicking range and close enough to threaten with his punches. But he didn't land very many punches. Uh, I believe Sterling outlanded him in every round. That numerically, of course, that's not... There's a couple of times when Cejudo landed the better strikes. Uh, Cejudo also got some positional advantages. Sterling trying to take Cejudo down in open space never happened. Cejudo had a pretty good front headlock game going here. Unfortunately, he could use it to control Sterling, but he couldn't mount offense from it. And hmm, that's a problem. Like, Imagine for just a minute if any of those times when he's working on like a quarter Nelson stack, um, if he's able to do something offensive for the like 30 seconds or so, sometimes longer, that he's got Sterling controlled. He's got him controlled, but that's an extraordinarily neutral position scoring-wise. 
you got to do something with it. And he never found offense. And if he'd found ways to weaponize it, uh, that might have won him the fight. No contra like that might have won him the fight. Uh, I think somebody tweeted that, you know, I think it was the Morning Combat Twitter account. I don't know who runs it. Uh, tweeted out that, you know, Aljamain Sterling would not do well under the one rule set. Um, one uses the, you know, knee, knees to the head of a downed opponent or legal. Which I think, it, I've said this before, I think one, I don't know about one scoring criteria being better than the current iteration of the 10-point must criteria. Um, what do they call them? You've like the, I think they call them the universal. I think the, I think the ones that the UFC uses are the universal rules, and then there's like the world rules that one uses. Um, forgive me, they have stupid names. Uh, but regardless, uh, I I do prefer scoring the fight as a whole. I, I I've come around to the notion that that's a I think that's a better more accurately reflective scoring methodology for MMA than round by round. You might feel differently, and I'm not uh, I'm not making a big argument here, but for whatever it's worth, I do think that's better for MMA. I don't think it's better for boxing. Actually, I think boxing is better with the 10-point must in their current system. I, I kind of... Not that boxing doesn't have problems, but boxing has really hammered out most of their scoring criteria. They have judging issues because they're terrible judges and boxing is boxing but not that there aren't terrible judges in MMA too and I'm not saying that scoring the fight as a whole fixes judging issues you still have judges implementing it and there's still problems and look one has dubious scorecards that get turned in pride had more than a few of them it's not a it's not a panacea this is in the balm of Gilead for the problem but I think it's better. I don't know that I love every element of one scoring criteria. I haven't given that a whole lot of thought, but just as for the record. And then, uh, again, like, Sterling would have to radically overhaul elements of his game uh, if he had to deal with knees to the head when he was on the ground. Now, that's not just him. That's a lot of people. But him in particular, um, Sterling's takedowns I'm not saying they're bad, because that would be a... They're not bad. They're relatively easily defended if you are... If, you've, if, you, if, you, if you have dedicated the time to preparing for them. Because he doesn't use a variety... He doesn't use a big variety of takedowns. Uh, and if you're schooled enough, you can stop them. They're not, they're, again, they're not great. What Sterling is really good at is getting you to turn and expose your back. That's one of the things, believe it or not, if I'm going to get, I'm going to give Cejudo credit for this. He was very aware of that. He gave Sterling almost no back exposure. Uh, anytime he was defending... I think that's part of what he was doing. Uh, when Sterling would reach for a single leg, not only is Henry Cejudo Olympic gold medalist in wrestling, right? Very good wrestler. But he would... He wouldn't limp leg. And 
That's one of the things Sterling likes to try and get you to do. He goes for the and goes for the single leg, and he doesn't usually switch to a high crotch. He just kind of tries to catch it behind the knee, lift it, and one of the ways to get out of that, a very effective way to get out of it, mind you, is to limp leg. Uh, but when you limp leg, you turn, and you expose your back. And that's really what he's after. He doesn't want to get you down into half guard, not saying that's the worst thing in the world, but he wants you to be a little off balance to try and limp leg away from him so he can jump on your back, because he takes the back better than almost anybody. Uh, he's very, very good at it. Cejudo, if he was sprawling, he was either, he either sprawled and then, again, fought for, like, a, Nel- for a, a Nelson stack, or sprawled at an angle that never allowed Sterling to turn the corner on him and get around behind him, ever. Sterling got some takedowns, uh, again, against the fence. This is one of those things that, um, uh, John Danaher has a, a line about this, that MMA is a transcendent sport in the sense that if you take all the disparate parts of it and put it together, it becomes something different. And that might seem weird, but if you think about it for a second, I mean, on this card, like if you put Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo on a wrestling mat and say, okay, freestyle rules, go. Who wins? That should you shouldn't have to think too hard about how to answer that question. Put him in an MMA cage and put a fence there. What suddenly whole different world. I mean, earlier on, we're going to get to this fight in particular, but uh, one of the one of the better black belts to come into MMA, a Crone Gracie. Dude, watch some of Crone's jujitsu stuff, man. He his jujitsu is like that's legitimately top of the food chain. I hate to, I hate that expression, but like that's world class. That's multiple time world champion jujitsu. And a I don't mean to insult Charles Jordan's grappling, but again, put them in a straight grappling match. Gi or no gi, I don't think it would matter. But put them in just a jiu-jitsu match. Who wins? Again, this should not take you long to figure out. Uh, pure jiu-jitsu? Uh, that, that's going crazy's way, it just is. But, because we're involved in MMA, a, a regular black belt... And Jordan does have a black belt in jiu-jitsu. But he has nowhere near the accolades in the jiu-jitsu world that Gracie does. And yet, you know, because what we're doing is MMA, Jordan was able to control him, avoid his attacks, and win the fight. Similarly, Sterling was able to use the MMA aspect of wrestling to out-wrestle Henry Cejudo. It's it's just a great... MMA is just like that. You can bring elements of the... You can bring the disparate elements together and you can rely on parts of them. 
Now, you can even lean pretty heavily on them, but what you need to succeed is ultimately something that is more than the sum of its parts. Um, so again, Sterling fighting real long. Uh, Cejudo landed some decent shots, had some good control positions. Um, if you think Cejudo won, if you scored this for Cejudo, again, not how I scored it, but I'm not, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's, I do think it's perfectly defensible. Uh, after the fight, Sean O'Malley was cage side. They brought O'Malley in to stare off with Sterling. We got one of those stupid... Uh, these post-fight stare-downs between the champion and the presumptive next challenger, they never work. It's just them saying the same stupid things to each other over and over and over and over and over again. There's You almost never get anything interesting. You almost never get anything witty. It's just a waste of everyone's time. The only thing they try to do is, like, pull brief moments out of it for hype packages. Uh, it, they're just stupid. O'Malley and Sterling is... Here's the thing about that. Those two are a lot closer to each other in size than a lot of other people have been recently. O'Malley's tall and he's long for that division, just like Sterling. Uh, he's pretty good about fighting long. Not the best. You can get inside of him, and that's what Sterling's going to try to do. That's a very... That that fight is a very... Um, I don't think that's going to be back and forth. I think that one's going to go one way, and it's going to go one way dramatically. Either O'Malley can find his range and timing and land strikes and really hurt Sterling, or Sterling gets in close, ties him up, and gets him down and chokes him out. Like that 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 fight's going to go dramatically one way or the other is kind of my early read on it. Uh, just going to say this about Sterling, kind of to close on him. I'll talk about Cejudo in a second. Um, Sterling has... Fair or not fair, and I don't know whether it is or not, Sterling's become one of those guys who is not really going to get his due until after the fact. Aljamain Sterling, at bantamweight, the best division in the sport, or certainly one of, he hasn't lost a fight since 2017. And that was December, so five and a half years at this point in this division... Against, again, Brett Johns, Cody Stamen, Jimmy Rivera, Pedro Munoz, Corey Sandhagen, Peter Yan twice, TJ Dillashaw, and Henry Cejudo. Like, there's not a, there's nothing even approximating a soft touch in there. Uh, not even close. <laughs> so... It's it's unfortunate that he's wound up in these positions where it's easy to dismiss his success. Look, he won the belt in the worst possible way. 
You never want to win the belt via disqualification, especially since he was losing that fight. It's just bad optics all the way around. The rematch, he wins. And, again, I didn't score it for him. I don't think it's wrong to score it for him. But close fight with a guy that does have some fan support and people kind of just... Then his next fight is... Uh, it's TJ Dillashaw and... That was a weird one in terms of the atmosphere. First of all, they had it in Abu Dhabi, which means you couldn't really get as much of a sense for like how people actually feel. Dillashaw was in a weird spot because people don't like him. And he's an easy... I don't mean this as an insult to TJ Dillashaw. He's a relatively easy guy to dislike. Some people are just that way. That doesn't mean you're a good person or a bad person. I know some... There are some genuinely good people that I know that are just... They're, they're easy to dislike. I can't always put my finger on what, on what it is, but, like, okay, you know, I get you, buddy. I like you, but I get why it's easy to dislike you. I get why people do. And, you know, conversely, like, there's plenty of people who are utter douchebags who have something about them that if you don't know them very well, or even if you do sometimes, like, no, you like them, even though they're jackasses. And Dillashaw, whatever you... I don't know the man, never met him, probably never will. Uh, Easy to dislike. But there's always kind of a desire for a redemptive story. We all identify with those. So the notion of this guy who, you know, screwed up, uh, was willing to come back... I mean, Dillashaw was struggling to kind of overcome the fact that most people thought he should have lost that fight with Corey Sandhagen. That includes me. Uh, But then the fight itself just winds up being old man Dillashaw with his shoulder falling out of the socket all over the place. Gets run over by Sterling and Dillashaw's injury became more the story than Sterling being a really, really good fighter. Unfortunate. Not Sterling's fault. He went out there and he beat the guy... He was supposed to beat. Now, we've got this one against Henry Cejudo, who... I don't know when people turned the corner on Cejudo. I really don't, but... This crowd was very pro-Cejudo. Um, again, I, I don't know when that shift happened, but it happened, clearly. And he wins a fight that... Yeah, I thought he won, and... You know... Two of the three judges thought he won, and I don't know where this, I don't know where the general sentiment landed on this, like, all over with fans. My hunch is that everyone would be, everyone's largely okay with three to two either way is kind of my read on it. Uh, but there's going to be a contingent that thought Cejudo won. There's a contingent that might think Sterling won, but wanted to see Cejudo win. And the fight itself, like, this wasn't a bad fight. It's not going on, like, my worst of nominees or anything. But this didn't set the world on fire. I think that's fair to say. And was a close fight that you could go, that could have gone either way and went the way of the guy people didn't want to see win. That all 
this is going to kind of contribute to Sterling being overlooked, underappreciated. Uh, and it, it sucks for him, man. I'm not... Because he's out there in the toughest division in the sport, maybe. Certainly one of. And he's doing everything that's asked of him. And the fact that people are just, you know, people about it, I don't know. Uh, man, it Unfortunate. Um, dude, O'Malley is going to be cheered through, like, he, Sterling is going to get a ton of heat when he fights O'Malley. Like, nobody is going to be rooting, I shouldn't say nobody, but almost nobody is going to be rooting for, uh, for Sterling in that one. Uh, that said... I think it look if he beats O'Malley kind of the way he beats Cejudo here where it's even if it's more definitive in terms of the decision but it's again kind of like this fight um that might be it. I mean like, that might be it for any chance of Sterling being a legitimate draw. If he goes out there and he runs over Sean O'Malley that might kind of start things changing. It might. Um, my hunch is there's still going to be a contingent that will just dismiss O'Malley's accomplishments to that point as being kind of the UFC's favorite. Fair enough, I made those accusations, and I think early on there was some favorable matchmaking. And I didn't think O'Malley beat Piotr Jan. I scored that fight for Jan. Uh, but I don't think it... I Look, he won. He went out there and he fought... I would say even after the Marab Dwalis really fight, O'Malley gave Jan his toughest fight. Um, you know, Marab was not like Marab won that fight fair and square. I'm not taken away from that, but like who who gave Jan the most like actual peril? You know, Marab never put him in danger. He just outworked him. Uh <sighs> O'Malley and Jan, like, they they went at it. So, uh, I'm not I'm not diminishing O'Malley in that respect, but people will. Uh, that's But, again, like, if Sterling's going to turn into something other than just... Look, is he the best bantamweight in the world? My hunch is yes. You could argue a couple of guys, but at this point, I, have, I wouldn't have a problem calling him that. But... If he's ever going to turn into something more than that, if he's ever going to, you know, actually be a draw, be a, be a, a poster boy, you know, be a, a star. The O'Malley fight is probably his last chance at that. If that lack, if that fight goes lackluster, if the reaction to it afterwards is kind of what we got here, he's not even going to be a big, he's not even going to be like a heel champion. If an O'Malley fight goes like this one did, people are just going to start shrugging their shoulders at him. Uh, and look, that I don't think that's fair. I, But that's my, for whatever my prognostication is worth as far as my reading the MMA fandom tea leaves. That's my hunch. Uh, if he, Again, if he runs him over, m- there's a few people whose tune might change. But if he does this again... You know, gets another kind of ho-hum decision. 
Uh, that that might be it. He still uh, that doesn't mean he's gonna lose the next fight after that either. But this is just about this is about his card position, his marketability, and his value to the UFC in that respect. Um. So anyway, that was that. Um, after the fight, Cejudo hinted he might be retiring again. Uh, his thing is he doesn't want to be. You know, he wants to be champion. You know, if you're not, uh, he he does the you know if you're not first, you last mindset. And he said something that should have been quite telling. He said, you know, if I'm struggling out here against Sterling, I I don't really have a chance of going up to 145 and beating Volkanovski. Correct. Uh, I, I think it was Brett Okamoto who I saw tweet out that, you know, in the wake of this loss, Cejudo should move up to featherweight anyway, fight Max Holloway. <sighs> Do we need to see that? I mean, look, I am not, Cejudo's a very decorated athlete. He succeeded. Uh, he's probably a touch underappreciated in all honesty because of his, pers- because of his persona. I'm not saying that there's not some featherweights that he might be able to beat. They probably exist on the roster. But he was giving up... How much was it here? Like three to four inches of height and seven inches of reach to another to a bantamweight. I, you want him to go up there and fight Max Holloway? Like, Max would do bad things to him. Real bad things. When he started making noise about wanting to fight um, you know, Volkanovski, and I, I can tell you what I said, if you don't want to go back and try to find it, and I don't blame you. My public stance was, look, look at what Volkanovski has done to people bigger than him. You make him the bigger man, and make no mistake, Volkanovski's bigger than Cejudo. I can't stress this enough, man. Volk has controlled, outstruck, and beat up bigger men than him. Because he's that good. What in the world do you think he's going to do to guys smaller than him? Just... (laughs) That, that, no. Just, that was always a pipe dream, man. You were never, you were never going to be able to handle Volkanovski. And again, Max Holloway would do some pretty bad things to him. Uh, so, I don't know what he's going to do if he wants to keep fighting. He's, again, he's 36. Uh, he's been competing for a long, long time. Uh, And he's also he's also in a position where he's not going to move up to featherweight and fight the rank and file. You know he doesn't want to do that. And I don't blame him. There's some really good guys in that weight class. So he'd be trying to jump in at the top. You know. So again, like who's at the top? You got Volk, Rodriguez, Holloway. Like, what do you think those guys are going to do to him? And I'm not, I am not under no delusions about, you know, Cejudo sucking. He doesn't suck at all. You can argue he won this fight. 
But think about someone as big as Max, or as not just big as Yair Rodriguez, but as dynamic and as punishing. I said this about Rodriguez, man. That dude, win, lose, or draw, when he fights, everything he does looks like it hurts. You know, I, everything he throws is just mean. You you stick Cejudo in there. How big is... I, mean, I, I want to look up the specifics of the difference here. So Cejudo's 5'4". Um, so Rodriguez is 5'11". You want to stick him in there with a guy six inches taller than him with... And Rodriguez is 71. With another, like, seven inches of reach. Who's just a violent, violent fighter at 36? How do you think that goes? <sighs> uh, so, again, I don't... So I was talking about Rodriguez there specifically. Uh, yeah, again, Max would do bad things to him. I don't know who I would favor him to beat in the top end of featherweight. Who else do we have up there? Eh, might as well pull up the rankings just for the heck of it. Then we're going to move on, I promise. Uh, let's see, featherweight. So, yeah. Volk, Rodriguez, Holloway, Ortega, Allen, Emmett, Cater, uh, Chancellor Jung, Giga Jakadze, Ilya Teporia, Movsar Avloyev, Bryce Mitchell. Maybe by the time you get to guys like Sadiq Youssef, Bryce Mitchell, he could maybe beat Alex Caceres, who's number 15. That's possible. But again, like look at the top six. You picking him against Calvin Cater or maybe the zombie? Even then, though, man, Jung hits hard. Like he's slow, but he and he's old. But man, like Arnold Allen would beat up on Henry Cejudo. My hunch is Ortega would too. I need to see what Ortega looks like after the shoulder injury. But again, man. If you don't like Henry Cejudo, then sure, him fighting Max Holloway is a great idea. But competitively, Max does a lot of really, really bad things to him. Like, Max might put the kind of beating on him that'll change your life. And I'm, I'm not kidding about that. So that was your main event. I don't know what's next for Cejudo. If he does go back to retirement, he's proven himself to be a pretty good coach. So I think he still has a lot to offer. I don't know that he has a lot to offer in the competitive space at the moment, but who knows? Co-main event: uh, Bilal Muhammad defeated Gilbert Burns, a unanimous decision, 50-45, and then two 49-46s. All right. Um, Bur Gilbert Burns looked like he he injured his left shoulder in the first round. He hit a takedown very briefly on Muhammad, but as Muhammad was kind of sprawling, trying to fight it off, it looked like every bit of um, weight from both of them landed on Burns' left shoulders. He was kind of angling that way. And I don't think he threw his left hand again all fight. Um, 
real shame. I don't know if he came in with an existing injury and exacerbated it or if something bad happened in that moment, but either way, um, there should have been more consideration in the corner of Gilbert Burns to stopping this fight. Uh, this didn't serve any purpose. So this was five rounds. Um, this fight did not need to be five rounds. Uh it, it just didn't. Nothing more was gained by having it be five rounds. Um, nothing new was learned. So, Bilal Muhammad is kind of in the same spot that Leon Edwards was a little bit ago. Where I said on one of my shows that, you know, look, Leon Edwards is really good. This was before he was champion. But he's going to get overlooked and he's going to kind of get pushed aside because no one cares about Leon Edwards. And Edwards, that seems to have shifted. Look, he finally got his title shot. Scored a dramatic comeback knockout win. And then his next fight was you know, the conquering hero returning to fight in London. And he won that rematch with U the third fight with Usman fair and square. So between the dramatic knockout and the sort of reception that he got, Edwards seems to have turned the corner finally. But look at the heroics it took to do that. Like, it's really hard to get people to care about you, especially after a certain period of time, especially when all your fights kind of look the same. That's the problem that Bilal Muhammad is up against. He's a very good fighter. Like, how long has it been since he's... Uh, okay, he had the no contest with Edwards. Uh, that was just a hair over a round. But dude, nothing about that fight was going his way. So if we back up, so if we want to count that as a, what would have been a loss is my hunch. Other than that, like you have to go back to 2019 uh, when he lost to Jeff Neal. Since then, you get the no contest with that with Edwards, but that's it. He beat Melander, he beat Sato, he beat Good, he beat Diego Lima, he beat Damian Maya, Stephen Thompson, Vicente Lucas, Sean Brady, Gilbert Burns. Uh, look, man, like that's a good run. It's a very good run. Part of his problem... I mean, he's got two finishes in that time. He choked out Takashi Sato. Fair enough. Uh, I don't think Sato's in the UFC anymore. And then he stopped Sean Brady, who turns out to have, like... <sighs> Sean Brady has the punch reaction of Brock Lesnar. Like, just not comfortable in the fire. So... That was able to work in his favor, but he never he, he never got close to finishing Millinder. He never got close to finishing Good or Lima or Maya or Thompson or Luke. He never got close to finishing Burns here. Like, and, and all those fights kind of go the same. And let me be clear about something. That means the onus is on everyone else to stop him from doing what he wants to do, and they're not stopping him, so he's still winning. Good for him. Like, he's found a way to win consistently. And that's a lot. So I, I give him I give him his flowers in that respect, man. He has worked diligently. To become a better fighter. Has become a better fighter. 
unfortunately, his attributes all lend towards this kind of fight. If he can out-wrestle you, if he's not worried about your grappling, he backs you into the fence, punches into a clinch, controls you, takes you down, recycle, ad nauseum, till he wins a decision. If he is worried about your grappling, his takedown defense is really good, so he pressures you, usually with kicks, gets you to the fence, fires a few punches, avoids all contact, avoids your tie-ups, and doesn't have enough firepower to reliably get you out of there, so we repeat this until he wins a decision. And that is great for winning. That's great for winning without taking a lot of damage. That's great for winning... This is great for winning, and winning is good. It's not great for the fans. It's not great for your relationship to the UFC. It's not great for your box office appeal. And I understand everyone who puts those concerns secondary to winning. I really do. You're out there. It's you, you lose. It doesn't matter if the fans love you. If you lose, that's half your paycheck. Uh, I get it, man. And it's your health. I get it. But, as a word in the same vein of just statements of reality, UFC doesn't like that. You are John Fitching your way to a title shot, and that's fine. You can do that, but the UFC will get, like, John Fitch got one shot at the belt. One. And he never got close again, even though he kept winning after that. He was never back in that discussion for another shot at GSP. Uh, just, again, never got close. Muhammad is, with this win, should be next in line for a title fight. Should. He should have had it. Anyway, I, I said when they announced that it was Colby next against Edwards that Muhammad was the meritocratic choice. I, that was true then, it's still true. But he's only going to get one shot. Um, again, you can grind your way to a title shot with these somewhat repetitive, safe but effective performances. But if you lose your title shot after getting to it that way, if you don't change dramatically, if you don't become the kind of fighter the UFC likes and the fans really rally behind, uh, you won't get it again. My hunch with Bilal Muhammad, if he doesn't win when he fights for the belt, he's not getting another crack at it. That's just my hunch. Um, yeah, This wasn't a great fight. Look, Muhammad does a lot of stance switching. Burns was just not in a position to punish him for it. Um, Muhammad's kicking game, pretty solid. Uh, I, I hate to say that everything about this was about the Burns injury. Muhammad might have won anyway. He's a good enough, again, good enough fighter, man. He might have won anyway. But the way this played out will also... The way this played out, it's also not wrong to still have serious questions about what this fight might look like if both if Burns 
is, you know, not injured. Maybe, again, Muhammad might still win. Burns at full power is a pretty darn frightening fighter, though. So, again, Muhammad should get the next title shot. Fair play to him. He's earned it. He's more than earned it at this point. Um, unfortunately, if there was an opportunity here to jump over Covington, the UFC has said Colby gets the next shot. That doesn't mean anything. It's not signed on paper. If there was an opportunity in this fight for one of these two guys, and it could have been either of them, to do something big and to say, no, me, right? To make that big statement. Um, I don't, and I don't know that that opportunity was there. My hunch is, again, if you'd done something really big, they could have. This wasn't that. Muhammad is going to be stuck waiting for Covington and Edwards to fight now. Um, that's that's just how it is. Uh, really sucks for Burns. Not just the loss, but the injury. You know, Burns is, what, 30? He's 36. But he's been around for a while. He's got almost 30 fights. He got into the UFC in 2014. So, uh, yeah, nearly 10 years in the promotion. Eh, we're at nine. Be nine in July. So yeah, nine-ish years. That's a long time to be in the UFC. And he fought both at lightweight and at welterweight. He fought a lot of good guys. And he had some big wins. He had some non-trivial losses along the way, too. But I don't, this loss, and depending on how serious the injury is, uh, the recovery from that, that's, uh, that's, I'm not saying definitively this is the last time we'll see Gilbert Burns fight in the UFC, but don't be too shocked if it is. That'd be a bit of a downer position on that, but don't be too shocked. So, again, the fight was, was just a boring fight. Like, especially the last two rounds. This was okay through two rounds. The first two rounds, pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. And then, once we realized in the third round what was going on with Burns, uh, that needed to be done after the third round. The next two rounds didn't do anything, didn't offer anything. It made the whole event run long. I mean, the main event, it made the whole card run long, but the, like, the main event started around 1 a.m. Eastern and then went the distance. Like, that main event didn't end until, like, it would have been, what, 1... been 1.30-ish on the East Coast? Yeah, something like that. This didn't need to be five rounds. Um, I I am not opposed to the idea of title eliminators being five round fights. I I don't hate it, but I think you got to be a bit more judicious about it, especially with later start times. 
and especially with the if Muhammad and Burns is the main event of a fight night, it still plays out the exact same way. I still have negative things to say about it, but at the same time, you're also probably not influencing a seriously overlong event with a wholly unnecessary 10 minutes of fighting. Uh... So, yeah, again, um, I gave Burns, I think I gave Burns the first, and then the other four to Muhammad, so. Right, um, our only finish on the main card, actually. <laughs> uh, Yan Shaonan, boy howdy, knocks out Jessica Andrade, 220 of the first round. I don't know what Yan figured out lately, because uh, I was... Yan Shaonan just kind of hung around for a long time. Um, like she, she had a good run for a while. Um, what was her best win? Name-wise, probably the Cloud G. Gedalia win she got in 2020. Uh, she beat Carolina Kovalkiewicz before that, Angela Hill before that. Like, those are solid names. At the same time, all of them are on the downside when she beats them. Then she got stopped by Carla Esparza. Like, I believe that's Esparza's only TKO finish in the UFC. Um, is that her only TKO win ever? Not ever. Yeah, it's her only one in the UFC. Um, at the time of that finish, that was her first TKO finish since 2012. When she was fighting at Invicta. Um, and that was the first finish of any kind, was it, since she won the belt? Yeah, her UFC debut when she tapped out Rose Namajunas. So, there was just kind of a, okay, if you're getting, you got some things to work on. She tried to work on them. Her win over, her loss to Marina Rodriguez, I thought was fair. I thought that one could have gone either way. It was only three rounds. Her win over Mackenzie Dern was a little... I think I scored that a draw. There were things about her game that she showed off that were nice. Um, but there were a couple of points. Where I think I gave Dern a 10-8 in one of those rounds to get the draw. Um, but here, like she knew the opportunity in front of her and was not going to let that go by. Looked sharp at distance. Decent-ish movement. She got a little bit too close to the fence, but it's... I'll talk about the the actual finish in just a second. Um, but good straighter punches. Uh, she just looked pretty. I mean, it's hard to take too much from a two minute fight, but she looked pretty darn good. Uh, really seems to have figured herself out. And then the finish. Andrade has always had a problem with following. She likes to pressure, and she's got heavy hands, but she's not great about ring craft. She's not great about cutting off the cage. And it means she gets tagged a lot as she follows. Um, Joanna, watch her title fight with Joanna. Joanna does this all fight. Just leads her around by the nose, pot-shotting her over and over and over and over again. 
Andrade compensated for a while with just her physical presence. But her lack of craft has started to catch up to her in a pretty obvious way. She really should be better at more consistently cutting off and more consistently not following. Like, there's a lot of stuff there that should have been fixed. Um, she got just kind of chasing Jan along the fence. She starts throwing the left hook. She throws it like three times in a row while chasing. Jan moves laterally along the fence, lets her keep coming, knows exactly where she's going to be because she's following, plants and drills her with a right hand. Uh, similar, not exactly identical, but similar to what happened to Fabricio Verdum, just chasing Stipe Miocic along the fence line, boom. There's, you know, dozens of examples of this more if you look at the regional scene. You can't follow. If they know where you are, they can punish you for it. They know where you're going to be, that's even better, and they'll punish you for it. That's what Jan did here. Yan versus Zhang for the strawweight title, all-China main event. They can put it in China if, I don't know how the Chinese government feels about that at the moment. They're still doing that. There's still a lot of, like, failed COVID policy going on over there. So, I don't know if the travel is uh, available at the moment or not. But, I don't hate the fight. I don't hate that fight at all. Uh... As for Andrade, um, she's only 31, but again, she's got 35 fights. She's fought from bantamweight to strawweight and fly. So she's fought across three different weight classes. She's fought in the UFC since July of 13, so she's coming up on 10 years. She's fought some very, very talented women. She's had some tough losses. Uh, she had some big wins too, but. Again, you get to that north of 30 fights, 10 years in the UFC, even if you're only 20, even if you're only 31, like, mileage gets you before age does. Like, father time gets you eventually, but the miles add up, man. Um, I don't, I'm not saying she's going to retire immediately, that would be a bit of a stretch, but she needs to change how she fights because she's not the person she was three to four years ago. And if you hit that point when you have to change your fighting style and what you do, and because you're because both you're not the same physically and the division has changed, if you're not able to make that shift, things go bad for you in a hurry. And there's a plethora of examples throughout all of combat sports on that. You have to make that change or things go real bad. And Andrade is at the point where she has to make that change. Uh, featherweight, Movsar Evloyev defeated Diego Lopez via unanimous decision, 229-28 to 30-27. So Lopez took this fight on short notice, uh, like during the week. Uh, Bryce Mitchell had to withdraw due to some kind of an injury. Um... A shoulder injury, apparently. If you look at him, um, I don't watch the UFC Embedded or the Countdowns or whatnot. I just, ugh. but on the Embedded, um, you can see Mitchell's left elbow is bruised, and he's got a bunch of, um, like a big purple mark on his shoulder. I don't think it was bruising, 
Uh, it's too purple. Right? You, you, it's like bright purple. It's like dye. And... Now, it might be that there was something there to help with um, an injury. If he had like... Uh, okay, so... I grew up around a lot of people with four-wheelers. If you fall off one of those things, you kind of eat it right where that was. So, maybe he fell off of something and had a bruise and was kind of like doing something with it. Or, uh, you do, they do use contrast dye for MRIs, some of them. Um, so, if they, if he was like, if they were examining his shoulder in that way and they had the dye just in that area, because that's the only area, that's the area they were looking at, so that's where they need the contrast. Uh, that might have been what it was, but either way, he pulled out in Lopez short notice. Bless Lopez, man, he came to fight. He made this. He went after this. Actually thought he won the first round, I think. Um, wasn't quite in... Uh, he kept trying later on. Tried to, had a knee bar that he was going after late in the third. Uh, if and if he was in full fight shape, this might have gone differently. Might I don't know for sure. Um, okay, so here's the thing about Evloyev. I've said this about a couple of guys recently, and I'm going to say it about him here. Because who else have I said this about? I said this about Mohamed Mikhaev. There's another guy. Who was it? Fairly recently that I said this about. Give me a second. Let me see if I can find this. Um, I've actually been of Loyev the last time I talked about him. Uh, I'd say this maybe about Marab too. I think a weird thing to say about Marab, but uh, if I said it about Evloyev before, I'm going to say it again here. Uh. There's a lack of offensive potency from Movsar Vloyev. His pace is good. His wrestling is very good. Um, but, and again, like with Mohamed Makayev, I said a lot of us have said this for a while. You know, dude's submission acumen is pretty high, but like there's nothing opening up his game. And Vloyev. What should I say this about? Did I say this about Saryukian too? I mean, it seems like a weird thing to say about Saryukian, but it might have been true in one of his recent fights, where the wrestling's good, but there's a lot of control and not a lot of damage, and the need to find places to inflict damage on your opponent is very, very big. And Evloyev had a bit of that here. His his offensive potency is just... It's just not quite where it needs to be. And look, he's undefeated. I'm not trying to knock the guy. But you're coming towards the top of featherweight. And while he's... Again, he's got good cardio. He's got good wrestling. Uh, he'll stick to you like glue, and he will wear you out. But there's not a lot of damage that he puts on you, and he's got to fix that. Like, you've got to start addressing that. Um, 
You could argue Lopez did more damage throughout the course of this fight. Um, and it's not... I mean, look, again, I'll give Evloyev credit. He had to fight off a couple of tough submissions. There was an arm bar in the first that was not pleasant, then that knee bar at the end got, yeah, close on occasion. Uh, so him gutting through those, you know, he's still got a ways to go. But I think the big thing he needs to start working on is his offensive potency. Uh, There's a lack of positional awareness or comfortability here, too. His corner was telling him between rounds and kind of screaming at him anytime they hit the ground, get to half guard and you can mess this guy up. And he never, I don't know if he really wasn't comfortable passing the guard of Lopez in particular. It just didn't look like he even tried. Like his corner's going, look, you get to half guard, you sit on that leg, you kill his offensive options, and you can just beat the crap out of him. And he never made a real concerted effort to get to half guard. Um, yeah, it's, uh, again, he's, he's very talented, but there's some pretty serious refinement that still needs to happen before I think he's a real, like, I don't, I'm not saying he can't win fights against those guys nearer the top, but he's going to have to win every fight like this. And he's going to have to dodge some serious heat coming back his way. And that, if he's not, if he doesn't pose a serious offensive threat, uh, it, it's just not going to be easy for him. And I don't know, he hasn't demonstrated that to this point. I mean, he hasn't finished a fight in the UFC. He hasn't even come particularly close, I don't think. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of got one of those games that works really, really well on even the higher end of the regional scene or the smaller scene. Because most of his entire career prior to the UFC was an M1, which is a very legitimate organization. But there's stuff that you get used to doing or openings that you get used to finding and forcing later that don't happen at this level. So he, he's he got to get some offense going more consistently. Um, Lopez, I give him credit, man. Again, short notice, and he came, and he, he proved himself to be very much at this level. Um, there's some video going around of Dana White seeming to tell him, like, I'll give you your win bonus too, like, I'm going to pay you all your money, which is a nice reminder that the UFC could afford to do this every event to do away with the show and win bonus structure, but they won't for pure greed. Like, that's all it is. They could afford to, but there are mandates from their overlords about what their profitability needs to stay at. And it would eat into their profitability, even though they could afford it still be like this wouldn't ruin them financially at all. It would shift things, though, in a way that makes WME or whatever they or Endeavor or whatever they wind up calling the merger of the UFC and uh, the WWE. 
it just it moves them in a profitability direction that the higher ups aren't happy with. Even though it's still super profitable, uh, eh, again, it is what it is in that respect. But going to keep an eye on what Diego Lopez does next. He he showed up. And kicking off the main card, Charles Jordan defeated Coron Gracie via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. This fight sucked. Um, Gracie looks like crap. Uh, his striking was not there. Jordan just beat him up constantly on the feet. Gracie pulled guard a handful of times, and after it became clear... First time he did it, you go, okay, maybe he can do something. Does nothing. The the crowd... Look, I'll give the Jersey crowd credit for this. They didn't boo Gracie right away when he pulled guard. They actually went, okay, let's see what you got. And turned out between his offense and Jordan's defense, he didn't have anything. So, Jordan beat him up a little bit from top position, got free, stood back up, made him stand up, and then every other time Gracie tried to pull guard... Booze. Um, what was the other thing? Like he, dude, Gracie started butt scooting. In the year of our Lord, 2023, butt scooting is back in MMA. Um, yeesh, terrible performance out of Gracie. Decent stuff out of Jordan. Fight wasn't great. That was your card. Again, only one finish on the main card. And a couple of anticlimactic fights to close us out. That's un- unfortunate. All right, prelims. Matt Frivola stopped Drew Dober via TKO 401, 408, excuse me, of the first. This was, good, this was good for as long as it lasted. I mean, we all had this one circled. Like, these two are going to go after it. Um, Dober been living on his chin a little bit, and he got cracked here. Um Again, back and forth, both guys landed. Frivola just landed the more damaging shot earlier. Dober wasn't happy with the stoppage. I can see why they did. I can see why he's not happy, but I can I can see why they stopped it. Um, big win for Frivola. Real big. Light heavyweight, Kennedy and Zechukwu. Uh, Zechukwu. I think it's Zechukwu. Uh, defeated Devin Clark via Ninja Choke, 228 of the second. Big size difference here for uh, Zuchukwu. And Clark never really got over it, never really got takedown. So you hurt Zuchukwu with a punch kind of randomly in the first round. Hit him, hurt him. But uh, Zuchukwu, after he gets hit and after he gets hurt, if he if he recovers, that seems to kind of wake him up. Um, yeah, defended a takedown in the second, got the knack, put him to sleep. Fair enough. Um, Chaos Williams defeated Rolando Bedoya via split decision. There was a 30-27 for Bedoya. I'm okay with that, actually. Then two 29-28s for Williams. This was a heck of a fight. Um, I forgot to mention it. Um, Evloyev and Lopez was your fight of the night. Fair enough. Don't think it's wrong. This would have been your close second. Uh, these two just went after it. Um, both guys landing big shots, both guys eating big shots. Fun little fight here. You could have scored this for Bedoya. I think Bedoya took this on short notice. Um, want to double check that. 
No? No, this was always this one. Um, anyway. I feel like they said he took this on short notice. Let me check uh, other. Site. No, no, this was all okay then. Um, it might have been that this fight kind of came together for this card relatively quick, because there this card had some of that. Uh, we mentioned it before, but um, Burns and Muhammad that got thrown together in like three weeks. Uh. So, while there was no, you know, changes to it or whatnot, it was kind of a late addition. This might have been one of those. Um, anywho. Uh, Bedoya, he looked pretty darn good here, actually. Um, this was fun. This was a fun little kind of back-and-forth brawl. So, give it a look at, give it a look if you didn't see it. Uh, at strawweight, uh, Virna Jandiroba defeated Marina Rodriguez. Unanimous decision, 229-28, 130-27. Um, Rodriguez has just fallen off, man. She has struggled to stop takedowns. She's struggled to get up. And people have kind of figured her out. Uh, early prelims, Parker Porter stopped somebody, stopped Braxton, Braxton Smith. Smith came out a little bit hot and heavy. You know, young guy, young in his career, UFC debut, swinging for the fences, couldn't land, couldn't land clean enough to get Porter out of there at least. He faded, Porter kneed him in the body and dropped him. Um, solid stuff from Porter. Middleweight, one of the ones I was looking at, um, Ikram Alexarov defeated Phil Hawes via knockout, 210 of the first. Um, Hawes came out looking pretty good actually. I uh, want to give him credit for that. He came out pretty dynamic, light on his feet, couldn't quite sustain it. Um, Aliskarov stayed composed, fought back, glanced him with a head kick that seemed to trouble him because after that, Hawes was a lot flatter on his feet. Hawes went southpaw for... Earlier, he was using it to set up some kicks. He was fighting, he was kicking quite well. But he settled into southpaw. I don't know if he's a natural southpaw or not, but he got a little flat there, got a bit stationary, and after exiting a clinch, Alaskarov laser one-two right down the middle, boom, boom, on the point of the jaw, cut the strings on the puppet, just bonk, fell over. Really good debut for Alaskarov. That guy's been, he's been tearing up the smaller scene. Again, his only, he's a multiple-time combat Samba world champion. He beat Bellator, a notable Bellator fighter, uh, Yaroslav Amosov in combat Sambo. His only loss in MMA is to Kamzat Shemaev. And I've seen that fight. I looked it up. Um, Shemaev spends the first bit of that fight trying to wrestle him, and he doesn't get close to getting a takedown. Bear in mind, doesn't get close to taking him down. Catches him with a punch and is able to uh, put him out. Fair play to Shemaev, who's got heavy hands. But when you can just stop all the grappling attempts of Shemaev, you're pretty serious. So pay attention to this guy. 
he uh, he might have something for the division. Kicking everything off, Claudio Hibero defeated Joseph Holmes via TKO. Punches 321 of the second. Not a whole lot there. Holmes missed weight. Didn't perform great. Um, yeah. Your bonuses, I mentioned already, fight of the night was Ivloyev and Lopez, which I have no issues. Performances went to Jan Shaunan and Matt Frivola. Left Alaskarov out in the cold a little bit here. Just a little bit. I He would have been one of them for me. He absolutely would have. Because um, he had the cleanest knockout of the night by far. Just, again, he completely shut off. Pause. Andrade, I don't mind them calling it a knockout, but she was still kind of, like, it's fair. It was a fair stoppage, too, like, no complaints. But uh, Alaskarov, he absolutely turned the lights off. So that was the event. Uh, my report is in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. If you're so inclined, go give it a read. Always appreciate that. All right, this preview should not take very long, so let's talk UFC... On ABC4. It's coming your way early morning. Next Saturday. Main event. You can tell they hate you. When you have a heavyweight main event. With a light heavyweight co-main. Uh, main event. Jarzinho Rosenstrick and JL10 Almeida. Uh, it's Almeida. Like that, that's the pick. Almeida's very good. He hasn't lost since um, 2018. He's on a long winning streak. That's, what, 13 fights overall? I think so. Um, 4-0 and 5-0 in the UFC, excuse me. Um, bounced a little bit around some, like, catch weights, but settled into heavyweight recently. Um, he beat the crap out of Shamil Abdurrahimov his last time out. He has wins over Parker. Uh, he beat up Parker Porter. Um... Almeida seems to be the real deal. Rosenstrike will be a decent test, but like Rosenstrike had a rough run. Knocked out Chris Dawkins. Okay, fair enough. But I think Almeida's probably got his number here. Light heavyweight co-main event: Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. Smith, what's Smith done? Magomed Ankalaev kind of beat the crap out of him. I had a pretty good streak going before that. I don't know, man. Walker's been so up and down. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Wins over Iwan Kutalaba and then Paul Craig. Okay, I'm going to go Smith. Just because this is kind of the point when when Walker stumbles, usually. Walker also, yeah, I'm I'm going with Smith. I don't I I don't know that I can pick Walker at this point as a general rule, but I don't know Smith's eh. Smith's been through it, man. That that guy's been in the trenches for a long time. Um, welterweight Daniel Rodriguez and Ian Gary. Gary looked pretty darn good his last time out when he beat Song Kanan. I was not impressed with him against Gabe Green. Uh, but the Song fight, he looked really good. Uh, whereas Rodriguez had that loss to Neil Magny. I kind of like Rodriguez, but we've also, I think, kind of seen his ceiling. He's a boxer, though. He and Gary, he'll trade hands with Gary. 
Um, Gary might be one of those guys who... I don't know. Is he one of those strikers who does better when you're not trying to strike with him? Or is he one of those strikers who's better when you are trying to strike with him? There's a fundamental difference there that I think... Like, like take Chuck Liddell, for example. Old school reference. Chuck struggled with people who actually would strike with him. Um, but because he had this reputation as a fearsome striker, a lot of guys tried to wrestle him, and those are the guys he just smoked. But people who knew how to strike and would actually strike with him had a lot of success. Even when he was on his run, that's where a lot of guys had success against him. So if Gary's one of those guys who's, you know, I'm a striker, but if you actually strike with me, things get wonky. I don't know. Um... Gary's third UFC fight? Oh, it's his fifth. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're taking the training wheels off. I mean, Song... Song wasn't a gimme. Rodriguez is kind of a proven UFC guy at this point. Hmm. They're probably, I feel like they're still leaning into, again, not easy fights for Gary. Daniel Rodriguez is no one's easy fight. But fa slightly favorable matchmaking, you know, Gary's not fighting a strong wrestler. You'll notice that. So, I, I'm going to lean Gary, but I'm not going to be surprised if Rodriguez pulls that one. Uh, Strawweight, Mackenzie Dern, and Angela Hill... Uh, picking between these two is hard. I mean, Dern, you know, lost to Yan Shaonan. There's just stuff about Dern's game that should be better at this point for MMA. Whereas Hill, I mean, I don't have anything against Angela Hill, but she's 38. She's been with the U. She's been fighting for a long time. Um, she just had her nine-year anniversary. Got almost 30 fights. Been in the UFC for a long time. I mean, she was in the UFC for a bit. Moved to Invicta. Came back to the UFC. She's been with the UFC for this run since 2017. She's on a two-fight winning streak. Dern's bigger, but Dern's striking is not good. Her cagecraft is not great. Her takedowns aren't great. Oh, I'm gonna be I'm probably gonna be very wrong, but I am gonna go Hill. Am I? Last time I picked Angela Hill, dude. Dern's only thirty. No, I'm gonna go with Mackenzie Dern. I. My, again, I I feel like I feel like whichever way, if I'm wrong, I'm just gonna feel stupid. But it's just hard to pick between those two. Uh, welterweight Alex Morono and Tim Means—that's a good fight. Uh, Morono coming off that loss, Santiago Ponzinibbio stopped him. Had a four-fight winning streak before that. Uh, versus Means. Just still out there, kind of trying to get it done. Lost to Kevin Holland, did the split with Max Griffin. That was a pretty good fight. I think it's Morono. Yeah, I'm going to pick Morono. 
Prelims. Oh, this fight. I love this fight. Two old guys going at it. They're going to beat the crap out of each other. Matt Brown and Court McGee. What's uh, not to love here, man? Brown coming off of that split decision loss to Brian Barbarena. That was a good. That was a real good fight. Uh, knocked out Diego Lima before that. Losses to Miguel Baeza and Carlos Condit. Hey, again, Brown's near the end. I mean, everyone knows it. Court McGee also kind of near the end. He's 38. Uh, got knocked out by Jeremiah Wells. It went two in a row before that. So this this will be fun. This will be a fun one. Um, I don't know how to. Uh, I, I I tend to pick Court McGee for sentimental reasons. I got a, I got a soft spot for the guy. These guys are both old. Brown's what? Yeah, Brown's 42. Yeah, I'm gonna go with McGee, but I'm not gonna be surprised if that goes the other way. This should just be a fun little fight. Heavyweights, Carl Williams and Chase Sherman. Am I really picking Chase Sherman? Coming off of that loss, he beat Jared Vanderto before that. What has Mr. Williams done? The name's familiar. I think he's fought in the UFC before. He has. Uh, yeah, he beat Wilkes Breschke. It was a weird fight. Yeah, I'm going to pick him. Uh, might be wrong, but I, I don't know that I can pick Sherman to win consistently in the UFC. Bantamweights. This will be a pretty good one. Cody Stamen and Douglas Silva de Andrade. Stamen on a two-fight winning streak. Had some tough lot. Dude, he fought Jimmy Rivera, Marab Dwalis, really, and Saeed Nurmagomedov in a row. Lost all three of those, and no wonder. Those are... That's a murderer's row right there. Jeez. Um, Dandraj. Lost to Saeed Nurmagomedov. Had that wild fight with Sergei Morozov before that. Beat Gatano Pirello. Lost to Lerone Murphy. I think it's a stamen. Uh, but that's a pretty good little fight. Light heavyweights. Oh, God, aren't there enough of these? Um, Carlos Ulborg and Ijo Poteria. I don't think I pick Ijo Porteria to win fights at this point. Um, he beat Shogun. And... Yeah, Ulberg's shown more. I don't like that Ulberg came into the UFC as early as he did. But he's got some good wins under his belt. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to pick Ulberg. I, I, Poteria... Is that how you pronounce Potieria? Yeah, Potieria. He's um. I don't know that I'm gonna pick him to win for a while. Not just because he beat Shogun, but he had that really bad loss before that. So. Uh, lightweight Le- Natan Levy and Pete Rodriguez, I believe. This was supposed to happen earlier and got moved. Uh, Mr. Rodriguez, five and one, one and one in the UFC, coming off a. Of, dude, Jack Della Madeline, JDM took him to school. He beat Mike Jackson, though. I mean, again, Mike Jackson. Uh, Levy. Levy had a good outing his last time, actually. Um, he is 2-1 and one in the UFC. The Breeden win was kind of ho-hum, but he looked pretty good against uh, Gennaro Valdez. 
Yeah, this was fight was supposed to happen earlier. Uh, I'm going with Levy. Going with Levy. On the women's side of things, flyweight, we have Ji Young Kim and Mandy Bohm. Kind of the last gasp here for Ji Young Kim, who had some tough losses. Um, she's on a four-fight losing streak. One of those to Alexa Grasso, fair enough. I kind of thought she beat Molly McCann. I definitely thought she beat Priscilla, beat Priscilla Cachuella. The Edwards fight, yeah, I was okay with that one going either way. Uh, but I, I thought she beat Cachuella. So, Mandy Bohm, by contrast, what, 1-1 one one in the UFC? 0-2. Oh yeah. Gone with Kim, but Kim, this is, this, again, I think this is her winner go home fight. Uh, welterweight Brian Battle and Gabriel Green. This seems like a nice rebound fight for Battle. Um, Gabe Green. Losses to Daniel Rodriguez and Ian Gary. His wins in the UFC over Phil Rowe and Johan Lainis. Um, Battle. Battle had a rough fight his last time out. Um, yeah, Renat Fakrandinov kind of schooled him. Uh, took him down and just almost at will beat him up. If he hasn't fixed that problem, then Gabe Green will be able to beat him. But he had this. This feels like a little bit of a get well fight. Then kicking everything off at women's bantamweight, we have Jessica Rose Clark and uh, Tianara Lisboa. 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 Uh, Clark, a little bit up and down lately. Lost her last two. Both my armbar. Got to work on that. Uh, she lost to Stephanie Egger and then Yulia Solyarenko. Not great. Whereas, uh, Lisboa is, I believe, making her debut in the UFC. Uh, that is correct. Um, three-fight winning streak? That's nothing to sneeze at. I'm going to pick Clark, but she's kind of in, she's also kind of in win-or-go-home territory. And that's the card. So, again, it'll start early Saturday morning, and I will be covering it in the MMAZona 411mania.com, so stop by as always. Appreciate it. All right, let's talk news. This shouldn't take long. So, big news of the week. Um, Juliana Pena has suffered some broken ribs. She's out of her fight with Amanda Nunes. In steps the woman who should have been fighting Nunes in the first place, Irene Aldana. Um, again, I, I don't know who wanted a third fight between Pena and Nunes, especially, at, dude, especially after their second fight. That wasn't close. At all. There was at least one. There was. I had two 10-8s in there. I might have had three. I think even the couple of the judges had two 10-8s. Like Nunes beat the crap out of her. No reason for an immediate trilogy. Uh, so Aldana gets the title shot. Fair play to her. Don't know that I like her chances all that much, but you know Nunes is also. She's been doing this for a long time. Like she's not quite what she used to be. So. I still think I'm going to lean towards Nunes there, but um, 
Overlook Aldana at your peril. Uh, the other news, um, I'll be brief here, because this is not, like, super confirmed or anything, but there's some rumblings going out there that there's interest. Again, this has not been moved forward. This has not been... The people in the know who have asked about this have been have been told talking about it too much is premature. That does, But that's not a denial, and that doesn't mean there's not talks. It just means... Op, it tends to mean... Options are being explored, and if you get out over your skis talking about this, that's on you. But the rumbling seems to be that the PFL might be buying Bellator. Now, again, may not happen, may... who knows, but as there seems to be, a, again, there's a little bit of noise being made in this zone... So, might, again, might never get to a point where it's even really publicly discussed. Uh, there might be some issues, who knows. But if that were to happen, that might you're still not going to have the best comp- competitor to the UFC. But between the PFL and Bellator rosters, you'd have... You'd actually have a really good talent pool to draw from. Just throwing that out there. Um, so again, I don't know if it'll happen. I don't even know if I want it to happen. Um, just saying that a little bit of noise has started to be made about that. So again, if nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it. Um, I'm not making any declarative statements other than to say what you might get out of that, the end, the resulting product. Uh, you could put together a really strong, you could have a very strong promotion with those, again, if you have like the bulk of those two talent pools merged together, you'd have something there. Um, and let me talk briefly about this. So one had their U.S. debut on Friday night. Uh, Demetrius Johnson defends his title against um, Adriano Moraes in the main event, wins a unanimous decision. Good little fight. Um, you know, I love Mighty Mouse, so just wanted to say he you know, he got that win. That was impressive. One's ability to be a full-on like martial arts promotion instead of just MMA is an interesting thing because um, Rod Tang had his, UFC, had his U.S. debut, I believe, as well. The um, what the like legend of Muay Thai fighting. And one has four Muay Thai and four-ounce gloves, which I love. And he wrecked some guy who probably shouldn't have been in there with him. Um, crushed him with, knocked him out with an elbow in the second round. Just, uh, beautiful stuff. But Rod Tank getting a big reaction from the crowd. Like, I'll give one this also, if nothing else. They have brought greater awareness to some of these guys that, for a long time, only the super hardcore fans were aware of. And... Him having that mixed rules fight with Demetrius Johnson was a big part of that. Like, DJ getting out there and helping to bang the drum. Like, no, you don't understand. This guy's awesome. Uh, So, seeing that was kind of cool. One did sign a Japanese kickboxing star. I think it was Takeru. So, we might get Rod Tang and Takeru in four-ounce Muay Thai kickboxing. Or some kind of four-ounce some kind of kickboxing. Because one also has regular kickboxing. They have, like, uh, regular kickboxing gloves. Either way, man, that'll be awesome if we can get that. That'll just be sweet. Um, Stamp Fairtex got it. 
There was a joke going around after Stamp Fairtex got her. She stopped some girl with a body shot. A really nasty kick. And it was like, so the UFC's trying to figure out which, like, three or four over-the-hill fighters they can unload to try and get Stamp Fairtex. Um, so, you know, one's U.S. debut, largely a success, I thought. Uh, look, they were in a smaller venue, but they kind of made it feel big. Like it was loud in there. Um, you know, my props to the Denver, Denver, to the Colorado Athletic Board, whatever its name goes by, for being willing to sanction a different rule set. I think more, more commissions should be willing to do that. So, yeah, again, so credit to one. Uh, they had a pretty good event, and, you know, I'm always down to watch Demetrius, so... And this was the this was probably the most interesting fight of the three between those two guys. Um, the second one was probably the best in terms of like being back and forth, but this was um, a lot of stuff here from Demetrius. Uh, and you know, Marais, he's good. His cardio is a bit of an issue, and I think the elevation got to him down the stretch too. So, all right, that's everything I have written down. Let's check Twitter, and if nothing crazy's happened, we'll do plugs and get out of here. Alright, no, nothing new, so... What do I get for plugs? Uh, the usual spate of professional wrestling coverage over at 411mania.com with... It uh, looks like Dark Elevation's done, as is regular Dark, so AEW might be adjusting some of their content. They're trying to get... Um, they have another, like, full-on television show they're getting up, so... I have to wait and see how some of that pans out. Um, yeah, we're just waiting and seeing on that, so... Uh, WWE SmackDown on Fridays, kind of the only regular thing I've got on the wrestling front at the moment, and then the UFC event on Saturday morning. If you like my other podcasting stuff, last week was a double shot of Damn You Hollywood. There was one for uh, myself, Pat Mullen, and Mark Radlich talked Big George Foreman, the biopic of George Foreman. Then the next morning, uh, myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina got together to talk the terrible movie on Disney Plus, Peter Pan and Wendy. Boy, that sucked. That sucked out loud. So you can listen to the full Damn You Hollywood treatment for those if you are so inclined. I always appreciate anything you can do in those respects. This week, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, that will be our Damn You Hollywood movie. So be on the lookout for that. That will be Tuesday evening. Let me double check that. Um, Monday. Oh, I'm glad I checked that. Okay, so Monday evening will be Damn You Hollywood for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I will be seeing that tomorrow, I guess. That Okay. No big deal. No big deal. So, be on the lookout for that. That's... Who else is there? Uh, David Wright will be joining us. That'll be fun. David's always fun to talk with. So, that and then, yeah, that's all I've got for... That's all i got for podcasting. So, next week, we'll be back here. We will be reviewing UFC on, e... UFC on ABC4, and... We will be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 82, which I believe is still looking for a main event... Um, yeah, that's, uh, hang on.
Yeah, they're still looking for a main event. Currently, our top fights are Edmund Shabazian versus Anthony Hernandez and Andre Fialho versus Joaquin Buckley. Um, look, this is not the worst fight night card I've ever seen. If we go down the whole card, like uh, Mahashte and Vyacheslav Borshov is not terrible. Michael Johnson and Carlos Diego Fajaya is not bad. Kovalkiewicz and Demopoulos, I don't care about. Elena Latifi, I don't care about. Um, so the long and the short of that, like it's not actually the worst. It's pretty uninspired. But man, there is just nothing drawing interest to this one. So we'll see if they come up with something between now and then. We don't even know what the main event is. So full preview next week for whatever that's worth. All right. Thank you very much as always, guys. I'm out. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.